Well, this morning I was thinking about ministry. And I think we know what ministry is, but to a young pastor who's about to go into the ministry, he may be not fully aware of what ministry is all about or what ministry is. When you become a new believer and you hear the term ministry, you're probably still trying to figure it out. And, and what is, if we were to break it down in a nutshell, what is ministry? If we were to say, break it down in detail and say, what are the things that we do in ministry? Well, this is why I love the word of God. And this is why I love preaching expositorily because the Bible tells us. And what we're going to look at today in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is the church's ministry of prayer. The church's ministry of prayer. Two things. Now, number one, as Timothy is a younger pastor, but I, I in no way want to communicate that he doesn't know what he's doing. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have put him there as the pastor at the church of Ephesus. He certainly does understand what ministry is about, what he was sent to do. And by the way, it tells us, Paul said, I sent you there to straighten out those false teachers. But in addition to false teaching, what is some of the priorities of ministry? What is a primacy of ministry? It is prayer. It is prayer. And I'm reminded of the words of Charles Spurgeon when they asked him, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, what do you attribute as the secret of your success? And he could have said a lot of things, but he said, those people downstairs that are praying for me while I'm preaching. He understood the priority of prayer. And so Paul begins this section, chapter 2, with talking about prayer. But he has not divorced or separated himself from chapter 1. We are still in this context. Though it may appear as a new topic, Paul is still within the context of chapter 1. In other words, contrary to the false teachers there at Ephesus, the law is good when used lawfully. The law reveals sin and leads to Christ. Salvation is offered through faith alone and Christ alone. Salvation in Christ was extended to the foremost of sinners, Paul, showing that God can save anyone. And it's extended to all men, including those who are in office, those who are in authority over our country. So according to Paul, fighting the good fight in the church is a ministry of prayer for salvation for all men, including our authorities, and for the freedom, an unhindered freedom, to preach the gospel, to save man, to change man, to change hearts, to change culture, to change nations. That is God's prescription. And so we will look at this morning the church's ministry of prayer. And just before I read verses 1 through 4, this is how I've broken it down. The church's ministry of prayer, 
First of all, verse 1, the priority of prayer. We're going to talk about the priority of prayer and what prayer is, as if we don't know, but let's take a look at it in detail. And then we'll take a look at the persons of prayer in ministry. Who do we pray for? And then, thirdly, what are the purposes of this ministry of prayer? What are the purposes of our prayer? And I'll just give you a, a big hint. It has to do with salvation. That is the Lord's work, and that is what the work is for the church today, for to share the message of salvation. With that, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Keeping in mind, this is still in context. How do you minister when you have false teachers? How do you minister with everything that's going on? Here's how. First of all, then, verse 1, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on the behalf of all men and even on the behalf of kings or those who are top in the office and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, as we come before you, on the one hand, this text is a very simple text about prayer. On the other hand, Lord, there are things that probably we have to deal with internally as we go through these passages. So would you, Father, work in our hearts for both, both the simplicity of it and the learning in detail. Father, we do want to have our priorities right here at Grace Bible Church. We want to be used by you, Lord, in a mighty way. We want to understand the church's ministry of prayer. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so as you pick up the text here, we're looking at this, and Paul is going to begin with first of all then. So when you see first of all, it's the idea this is a priority. There's a primacy here. And if you're thinking about the ministry that Timothy has, that he has to talk to those false teachers and correct their doctrine, have the correct doctrine himself, be able to teach the congregation. The priority is prayer. That you pray not only for you teaching, but also the practical power of that teaching and also the hearing of those who hear. And any with different views other than sound biblical doctrine will be corrected. And those who are false teachers will be emphatically corrected. So it, this is the priority. So prayer is a priority. And I think we know that, right? We know that. It's not so much that we don't know it, but perhaps even what Randy just said a few moments ago, complacency. The problem is complacency comes in. And 
we know prayer is a priority, but we don't always make prayer a priority. And we see ourselves very involved, very, very much aggressive in ministry, but let it not be at the expense of prayer. Remember, Martin Luther wrote that he had a lot to do in that day, and so he needed to spend a lot more time in prayer. That is the connection, and I think that's exactly what we see here. First of all, then, I urge you. So that's first of all in prayer. And, and the word urge, is an, is, it's not a command. It's an exhortation. It's a very personal exhortation. Timothy is his son in the faith. He, I believe he led Timothy to the Lord. And what a great relationship between Paul and Timothy in ministry. And now Paul has Timothy at Ephesus. And, and he writes to him and he says, I urge you. There is this idea of the word that means to come alongside. But there's also the, the idea of this is an exhortation. This is serious. So I urge you. And then he goes through a list of types of prayers. Just on the beginning of it, we would say, why does he list all these types of prayers? Because he wants to show the importance of prayer. Whatever prayer it is, whatever kind of prayer you're doing, this is the priority and he names them and there are four categories here and I want to spend a little time this morning going through these categories he says I urge that entreaties and prayers petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men so what are they what are the differences and I know this is somewhat Bible study, but wouldn't you want your pastor doing Bible study? And then when I do Bible study and I see what we have here, I go, oh, this is good. They need this. Everyone else needs this just as much as I need this. So what does entreaties really mean in the Greek? Because I think sometimes in the English, we do become complacent. Oh, okay, we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to entreat the Lord. You know, we're supposed to petition the Lord. But the meanings are more intense than that. Entreaties is the Greek word deasis. And it has the idea of pleading. Okay? So would you imagine that entreaty is the same as pleading? Well, you do now. And then it, it means an urgent request to meet a need. So it's a pleading of a specific need. Now, I, I think in a way we could say that that covers it all for all prayer, but it doesn't. It doesn't. So entreaties are when there's a real need and we need to be praying about it and praying about it seriously. And I'd just like to show you a few passages in Scripture that bring this out. <clears throat> Again, I, I, I make no apologies for this because how else will I know how the Bible uses the word entreaties without looking at it? What does it mean? Well, the rest of the Bible will tell us. The Bible is the best commentary on it. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. So we're going to spend a little time here. We're going to spend a little time encamped in the priority of prayers and looking at the categories of prayers. This one is entreaties. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both 
prayers, now that's our word here, even though it's translated prayers and not entreaties. So sometimes the English translators do that. It's not a real big problem. Sometimes the context forces you to do that. But I'm telling you, the Greek word is the word we're looking at, deasis. So in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, most likely there in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he is crying out. That's the idea of a pleading for a need. And of course, he not only pleaded, but he ended that prayer with, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So here we see the idea of pleading. We also can you see this word used in long time prayer. In other words, I have, a, I have a dire need and I'm pouring out my heart. How long do I pour out my heart? It should be until the Lord answers, right? And that's what we see with this word in Luke. And you don't have to turn there, but I am turning to Luke 2, verse 37. And it was talking about the widow who was at the temple praying to see the Messiah. It says, then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. That's this word, entreaties. So it's a long-term prayer, a long-term prayer as well. And then we also see Paul use this word in reference to deliverance. I need to be delivered. From what? From temptation, from sin, from making wrong errors, from being unbiblical. And so it's the idea in Philippians 1.19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. Again, deasis. And it's the idea pleading for this deliverance. So the first thing we see, if prayer is a priority for the ministry of the church, why, why am I saying the church? Well, it is for the church. It is for the church because... I believe the theme is fighting the good fight, which he just talked about in chapter 1, fighting the good fight in the church. Might I also add that Timothy is a pastor or an elder, and so this is also an application for us as elders because the Bible says that our ministry is the ministry of the word and prayer. We should never forget as elders that this is the primacy. Everything must be coded in prayer, sought in prayer. And by the way, when we do get together, we most often pray for the congregation and pray for needs, and we pray for the direction, too, of the church that we would be following Christ. But, but outside of the church and outside of the elders, which a pastor is included in that group, thank you. <laughs> thank you for including me in your group. Um, it is the idea of everyone. Ministry of the church includes everyone. We've already seen the principle that if you're a believer, you're in ministry. Now, maybe it's not described as full-time ministry. Maybe you have a secular job. Doesn't matter. You are 
in ministry. You are in full-time ministry because you're a full-time Christian, right? Right. Okay, so, so this is what this applies to, and this is the priority. And all of the ministries that we have here, we should be bathing them in prayer. Praying, as we're going to see, one of the themes of this section here, verses 1 through 4, is for salvation. We want to pray for salvation. People come in, uh, children come in, they don't know Christ. We want to lead them to Christ. What good would it be if we just make them feel warm and fuzzy, but they don't hear the gospel and don't come to Christ? And by the way, so as we're looking at this, just let me show you the context. So he's going to talk about the urgency of prayer, who to pray for, because verse 4, because for God, he desires all men to be saved. So there, even though there are other things that we're going to talk about praying for, that is the idea of it, praying for salvation. And so we ought to be pleading for salvation. Members in our family that don't know Christ, members of neighbors that we know, individuals that we know, maybe they're coming close to coming to Christ. Now, this isn't because we think we're better than everyone else. This is because this is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. I would be delinquent if I did not preach that and teach that because that's what Jesus said. Well, let's move on to look at some of these others. So first one is entreaties, and it's deasis, and it's urgent. The next word is prayers. Prayers. Now, I will say that this word is the general word for prayer. It is the, the general word for prayer. But it's anything but general. Just because it's a general word for prayer, it includes everything. But it is prayers. Prayers of all types would be the idea. And it's very interesting. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, if you want to do a study on prayer, do a study through the Gospels of every time Jesus prayed and his ministry of prayer. I often say, because I think it's true, that at least a third of the disciples' ministry was in trying to find Jesus because he went off to pray. And here we find one. It says it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Now, that's a general word for prayer. Yes, but you can imagine praying the whole night that it would have been all types of prayer, all types of concern. And of course, one of the concerns would be for his disciples. And he prayed for, even before he picked his disciples, he prayed beforehand so that he would be led by the Holy Spirit and so that he would have the wisdom to pick just the right men, just the right men, and he did. By the way, this is such a good word, and, and it's a glorious word, that it also, the Greek word is prosuke, it also was a place of prayer. So the Jewish people would go to a place of prayer. Well, what do you call that? A prosuke, a prayer place. And so even though it's a general word, it's a very uh, intriguing word, and it's a very honorable word. We find that in Acts chapter 16. I won't take the time to look there, but you remember in Acts chapter 16 when Paul went to Philippi, he wanted to talk to people, so he went 
to the prosuke, the place of prayer, where he thought they would be. And there he met Lydia, and she was saved. Now, the next word is petitions. And a word that's used occasionally. Um, it's, a, it's a word that has an interesting meaning to it. Literally, the word means to light upon something, to land on something, to light upon a person. Well, that's a Greek way of saying, I'm going to meet with you or have an encounter with you. I'm going to light upon you. Well, as we start to put that together, what does that have to do for prayer? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to have an encounter with you, with God, in prayer. Intercession. Now, it's not always translated intercession, but we think of intercession, do we not? If I'm going to uh, direct a petition toward God for someone, that's intercession. And I, I want to say we see a lot of that in this church. I mean, we have a lot of prayer requests coming down the line, and some of them are just, you know, really, really serious and need our attention and need our prayers. And, and so we petition God on their behalf. Well, this word is also used, intercession of both Christ and the Holy Spirit who are interceding for us. And I, I've said this before. If no one else knows about your difficulty, you have at least the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit praying for you. But you ought to have, and I think it's true of this church, you ought to have the church also interceding. And in Romans 8, 27, and he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes, there's the word, for the saints according to the will of God. And I love that because how is the Holy Spirit interceding for us? For the will of God? Well, he's getting his prayer right. I don't know if I'm getting my prayer for the will of God right, but the Holy Spirit's getting it right. And then it refers to Christ in Hebrews 7. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. One of the reasons why once saved, always saved is because Christ is interceding for us. The other reason is because his work was perfect for every sin. And so it stands to reason that when we come to Christ and he saves us, we are saved. And we have the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about in Sunday mornings, we have the Holy Spirit permanently, permanently, not like the Old Testament, permanently indwelling us and sealing us. Sealing, signed, sealed, and we will be delivered. Sealing us until the day of redemption. I can't take that seal away, neither can you. Well, all of this is in this word intercession. And this is our responsibility as part of the ministry of what we do here. Now, in almost every list of the types of prayer that, that Paul gives, he usually lists this next one, thanksgivings. So our, it's not wrong for us to have requests in our prayer, needs in our prayer, but there also needs to be thanksgiving in our prayers. 
and I don't think we need any definition of that. I think we know what that is. But let me tell you why. First of all, when you thank God in your prayer, you are thanking God for his sovereignty and all-powerful, almighty power to do all things. That's why we're coming to him in prayer. Now, he may not do what we're asking because it may not be his will. It may not even be good for us. But he will do his will, and we thank him. And actually, that's one of the great things. Lord, I may have just messed up in what I asked for. I don't know. At the time, I didn't think it was wrong to ask for a rifle for Christmas. But I see it now. I'm convicted in my devotions. Well, you know, maybe... And I don't know. I mean, the, the vote is still out. Maybe I'm going to get that rifle for Christmas. But it may not be God's will is my point. But we are to thank him for what is his will and what he does bring in. And he does always answer. And sometimes he answers no, which we ought to thank him. My father used to always think about this in his prayer and when he pray about that for the things you give us and for the things that you don't give us because we we should not have them and that's exactly what we have here but also to thank him for the blessings I mean we come to him with many needs and I know there's times when we're just pouring our heart out crying but we ought to at least recognize the blessings I mean how about the blessing that he saved us that we have a heavenly father that we can pray to How about that as far as a blessing goes? Thanking him for others who have ministered to us, who have been a blessing. Maybe we've seen them grow in Christ. Watching someone grow in Christ should delight our hearts as believers. You talk about one of the mainstays of ministry, that's it. Watching someone grow in Christ. Seeing them get excited about the word of God. If you get excited about the word of God and you talk to me, you're going to get me excited pretty quick. That's what I get excited about too. And I see that as growth in the Christian life. But also thanking God for answered prayer. You know, we've been praying some serious prayers for some folks here in this church and God has been answering and we need to make sure we thank him. That'd be terrible if we didn't. That'd be terrible if we didn't. So thanksgivings are are usually always included. Now, these are the areas that he mentioned. And this is, I went over these because I want us to, to see the importance of prayer and why it should be the church's priority to pray, the ministry. I just want to look at two other verses that mention some of these in the list. And one I know that you'll appreciate. Philippians chapter 4. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and this verse has really been on my mind and heart, and I've, in my, in my own way, I've tried to encourage a number of people lately with this verse. But notice, as we read it, just notice the different types of prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but at everything by prayer, there's one type, supplication, there's two, with thanksgiving, okay, now he's mentioning that one, let your requests be made known to God. I'm going to stop there. I'll read verse 7 in a second. Now, all of those are the same ones that we just looked at except for one, and that is the word requests. 
The word request is a different one, and it's itema. And what it means is, so we're entreaties focuses on pleading, request focuses on what we're pleading about. That's, that's the idea. So I love that there's so many different words for prayer because it covers everything. It covers everything. We ought to pray to God for everything, in everything. And, and there ought to be all different types of prayers in our prayer life. And what happens when we do this? Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what strikes me is you don't understand why you have a peace at a time like this going through a trial, but you do, and that's why it's called the peace that passes all comprehension. That's what it does. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in the believer. But make sure we're not being anxious. We're refraining from trying to be anxious, and we're coming to him in prayer. And one final one that I want to look at in speaking about prayer and the primacy of prayer, we've already seen this one. And you know where we've seen this one? In the context of spiritual warfare. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. So Paul just gets done talking about putting on the armor of God in, in regard to spiritual warfare. And he finishes it, finishes it in verse 17, and then he's, he mentions prayer. So in my mind, there has to be a connection one way or another. And this is what he says. Ephesians 6, verse 18, I call it the all prayer. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So you see, even though he didn't say first of all, that's a major ministry. That's a major ministry, whether you're going through spiritual warfare. That's a major ministry, whether you're seeing blessing. That's a major ministry for the church. And he says it so clearly to Timothy. First of all, then, and there all of the words are repeated in our passage, except for the one he adds the word perseverance, which is proskartereo, which means to be devoted. No, it literally means continually be devoted. And it's usually in the tense of the Greek of continuous tense. So it literally means continually continuing in devotion to prayer. That is enough to tell us right there, this is our priority in the ministry of the church to be in prayer, all kinds of prayer. Someone writes this, prayer is not a nicety, but a necessity. God is sovereign, yet his sovereign plan includes the prayers of his people. One also writes this, the failure of this, the failure of the church to pray in accordance with this exhortation in 1 Timothy is one of its great sins today. 
Wow. And then, of course, you've probably all heard, we must talk to God before we talk to men about God. That's the priority of prayer. What about the persons of prayer? Well, let's talk about that. The persons of prayer. And I, th I think we're still in verse 1. It's just the, the last part of verse 1 of 1 Timothy. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Now, before we talk about the persons, I want to look at that word on behalf. If there was ever a preposition that was very, very important, it's that one right there. Even in the Greek, um, it, it's on behalf of. We are to pray on behalf of. We are to pray for the sake of. It's, it's all about intercession. But what's so great about that word is when it talks about Christ dying for us, many times that's the preposition. Christ died on our behalf. If you don't understand salvation, then understand that because that is the key. What is it? He died on your behalf. He died in substitution for you. He didn't have to. He didn't sin. He knew no sin, but he became sin for us. That is salvation. And the moment that we place our faith in him and what he did on the cross, we are forgiven of all of our sins and given eternal life. Not by how good we are. Just take that out of your mind because that's not even in scripture. The law is good if used lawfully, and the law does not save, but the law reveals my sin and leads us to Christ. Because we can't save ourselves, our good deeds can't. But he can, because he died on our behalf, in our place, for our sake. That is salvation. It's also called substitutionary atonement, which is the crux of salvation. But it's also really word, as we've seen before, it, it refers to our intercession. Now, it says all men. Should we take that literally? Yes, we should. And you say, well, not all men are going to be saved. That is true. And as we think about the doctrine of election, we, we think, well, why should we pray for those who aren't elected to come to Christ? Because we don't know who are elected. We don't know. As it says in Ephesians 1.4, don't, don't, don't be upset with the word at least, because in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And the word for chose, we get the word elect from. God chooses, elect, and electos. So even if we're thinking along those lines, why should we pray for the salvation of all men? Because we should. Because it says in verse 4 that God desires that all men be saved. Now we'll talk a little bit more about that the theologically, but that's all we need to know. That's all we need to know at this point. 
So Paul is referring to all men. And, and, and if God desires that all men be saved, surely we should pray for all men. Now we know that not all will. Not all have. Not all will in the future. But this is our duty. This is our job. And, and I also think in regard to election, I wasn't going to really say a whole lot about an election. I thought maybe if we needed to, we'd, we'd spend another week talking about it. But what, what I also understand about election is, or have an opinion of, is that if you have a people, if you have a church that's praying for an individual, very well could be. That, that the Lord is going to save that individual. The Lord's one of the elect. And one of the points in the process is he moved the church to pray for him. So, so even though it's an election, God is sovereign, he sovereignly wants us to pray. And sometimes in his sovereign will, our prayers are part of the salvation of others. So this is all men. All men. So you could go through in your mind who all men would be. What about your enemies? Well, Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. That's the first thing that we have to change now. And pray for those who persecute you. Well, those would surely be unbelievers who are persecuting the Christian. Why should we pray for them? Why shouldn't we call upon the wrath of God, like David did in the imprecatory Psalms, because we're under grace, because we didn't deserve to be saved either, but he saved us. And so we do pray for all men, saved and unsaved alike, especially unsaved for their salvation. We pray for the saved that they grow, they grow in Christ. But we're not done. So that's the broad scale. And I this is very interesting that the next verse he's going to include those who are in politics. Well, those who are in authority anyway. So look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 2. So he says, okay, pray for all men. And perhaps there were some who weren't too happy with those who were kings or emperors or monarchs or prime ministers or presidents. Some who weren't too happy with that. And thought maybe they should, that God should reserve the deepest part of hell for them. That's not biblical thinking. In fact, God does not take pleasure in sending anyone to hell. Now he does, and he does faithfully to all who reject the only way, which is Christ. But he does not take pleasure in that. We'll see that in just a moment. So he says, also, and, and in, the, in the Greek, it begins with, and also on behalf of. You're, you're going to intercede for all men. And maybe some are thinking of that day, well, I'm not praying for Nero, because he's the guy that was the emperor. I'm not praying for that lunatic. Well, Scripture here is telling us to. Pray on behalf of them. So this would be a king, and it all depends on what they call him, but it means the top official. It could be an emperor, a monarch, prime minister, or it could be President Biden. And don't 
get me wrong, I'm not saying that we don't have our struggles. <laughs> or should I say, he has his struggles. But there is something here in scripture that says, well, then you ought to pray for him even more. Number one, for salvation. And number two, that he leads this country in the correct way. If you, the church, don't pray, who else will? So this is this idea. And then he says, not just the king. He says, all those in, in authority, which could be the vice president and the cabinet. Pray for all of them. Wouldn't you want them to come to Christ? And by the way, here's whether your theology is correct or not. Do you think that you deserve to be saved and they do not? Then you don't understand grace. You don't understand sin. God's grace can save them just as God's grace saved the foremost of sinners, me, not Paul, me. So, all right, I, I, know, I know what you're thinking, or at least I think I do. I, I don't have that gift of knowing that, but I, I know what you're thinking. Well, then, what, what is our position then? What, what is, you know, how does this all fit together? And I, I will be honest, it, it sometimes is a little difficult, but, but look at the simple first to understand the difficult. Don't always be in the difficult, but what about, but what about, but what about you not saying, but what about anymore? How about that? And you just look at what the scripture says, even when it says that God established these authorities and we are to submit ourselves to him. Just work on you. Work on you obeying. So being involved in political or legislative voting is not wrong, or even being involved to some extent in politics for a Christian. I am not saying that it's wrong and that it's sin. I'm not saying that. In fact, there is a sense in which it is our duty, not only as a model citizen, which we ought to be. That's another point that's in here. But as moral Christians, yet, yet, we must not make those things our panacea, our cure-all, our trust our idol. Instead, we must understand that God called us to follow both his will and his instructions for changing a nation. Changing the hearts within a nation is accomplished by a priority of prayer and sharing the gospel. And that's why one of the prayer request here is going to be so that we live a tranquil and peaceful life, not meaning that we get R&R &R all the time, meaning that we are unhindered from giving the gospel. All right. Let me read something from John MacArthur in his book called Why Government Can't Save You. When the church takes a stance that emphasizes, emphasizes political activism and social moralizing, it always diverts energy and resources away from evangelism. 
Such an antagonistic position toward the established secular culture invariably leads believers to feel hostile. Not only to unsaved government leaders with whom they disagree, but also antagonistic toward the unsaved residents of the culture. Neighbors, fellow citizens they ought to love and pray for. Remember we read that, Matthew? And share the gospel with. He says, to me, it is unthinkable that we become enemies of the very people we seek to win to Christ. Our potential brothers and sisters in Christ, if they come to him. Well, then what is the thing we are to do? That's what this passage is telling us. Prayer and preaching the gospel. Preaching the word of God. That is what changes hearts. He says, by means of faithful preaching and godly living, believers are to be the conscience of whatever nation they reside in. They are to confront the culture, not with political and social activism of man's wisdom, whether it be someone else's or their own, but with the spiritual power of God's word. And I believe that. I believe that's why I preach. I, I preach because this is how I think culture has changed. Yet we may not get everybody to listen to this, to me, or listen to me long, or listen to me for 20 minutes. It doesn't matter. This, this is the truth. This is what biblical teaching is about. This is what he's saying to Timothy. Timothy, you want to know how to fight the good fight? Let me tell you. You want to know how to conduct yourself in the church today? I'll tell you. It's by prayer and praying for salvation for all men. But Paul, you didn't talk about political parties. No, he didn't. Paul, you didn't even talk about Nero, who will have your head in the end. No, he didn't. Now, why? Why in the world should we pray for those in authority. <clears throat> well, I think we probably already answered that, but let me, let me kind of combine this together as we're talking about the persons of prayer. Why should we pray for those who are in authority? Number one, because we are admonished in Scripture. Period. Let's close in prayer and go home. That is it, beloved. If we claim to be Bible-believing Christians, and this is a Bible-believing church, we have to believe every part of it. Even the part in Romans 13 when it says we need to be submissive to our authorities. If we don't, we're being duplicitous. If we don't, we are kind of being a little hypocritical. Oh, yeah, we believe the Bible, but not about praying for these enemies of ours politically. Now, again, I'm not trying to change your view politically. That's the last thing I'm trying to do. But what I'm trying to talk to us about is Christian behavior. At the end of the day, my attitude ought to be to every one of them in a loving, godly manner that they would maybe even ask me, why do I act the way I act? God forbid that they should say, why do you act so completely different with all the other Christians? God forbid they should say that. But God willing that they would say that. Why do you act this way? Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I didn't always act this way. 
That's what we have here. So the first thing is it's admonished in scriptures. That's why we pray for them. Secondly, because we are subject to authorities. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. And, and what is interesting is we would want to say to Paul, but Paul, you don't understand what we're going through. You're, Paul, you don't understand what we have to deal with. I think he does. And I also think it doesn't matter because I think he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because this isn't Paul's writing per se. It's God's writing. It's God's word. Isn't that what we believe as Bible-believing Christians? Yes, it is. Every person, verse 1, Romans 13, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Even though, even though they may do evil. They don't want you doing evil. Not in their country. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. And can I add maybe an opportunity to share the gospel? For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. I know. There, I know we could probably think of some hypocrisy there. I know it. But he's not writing to them. He's writing to you, the believer. And as we think about this, again, look in the scriptures in the Old Testament, how many times did God use secular kings to bring about his will? How about when he used Shalmaneser to take the northern kingdom into captivity because they just wouldn't get rid of their idols and the worship of idols, even the god of Molech, which means you sacrifice your child in fire to that god. And he warned him, and he warned him, and he warned him. And finally, he just allowed Shalmaneser to take him. Northern kingdom, whoosh, gone. And then, for the southern kingdom, he raised up Nebuchadnezzar. Same thing. Raised up Nebuchadnezzar to remove Judah from the promised land because he told him in the very beginning, if you follow other gods, if you do not uh, follow and serve me, if you follow other gods, I will remove, remove you from the land that I gave you. Gone. But then what about Cyrus? Again, I, we don't think he was a believer, but he was appointed by God to make the decree for Israel to go back to Jerusalem. And then how about Nero? Wow. You know, that's pretty wild. And here, Paul is telling us to be submissive to the authorities. And I know it, it, it has questions and conundrums. I know that. But again, understand the difficult with the simple. This is the basic. This is the basic without all the, but what about, this is what we're to do. Get comfortable with that for a while. Now, there's also two more. 
we're going to see, number three, we're to pray for Christian peace to share the gospel. And then we're going to see what I think major emphasis has been, pray for the salvation for all men, including those in authority. Well, let's look now at verse 2. First Timothy, and we'll move a little quicker now. I wanted to emphasize the, the priority of prayer and to whom we pray for. He says, verse 2, For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So we're looking at, we're supposed to pray for a tranquil life. Now, what does that mean? Again, it doesn't mean that, you know, maybe, maybe God could call us all to the Bahamas. That would be a tranquil ministry. And since everyone loves the water, that's where we would minister at, by on the beach. No, what it means is without turmoil, if you will, a peaceful existence. And I believe what he's saying here is there needs to be a peaceful existence and, and a quietness so that we as believers, the church, can do what we've been called by God to do. Now, even if we're persecuted, we're still supposed to do it. But there will be those who are hindering. What a great country to be in where, for the most part, we have been unhindered, although the tide is changing. What should we pray about? Pray about that we are not hindered from sharing the gospel. But if we are, we will anyway, because that's what man needs. That's our greatest need is our sin. And the, the quietness could also refer to internal peace. So, so it's talking about the Christian's peace. One writes this. While it remains uncompromising in its commitments to the truth, the church is not to agitate or disrupt the national life. Now, I'm not saying that we don't affect it. I'm not saying that we don't have a voice. As long as it's done in a Christian decorum, When it manifests love and goodness to all and prays passionately for the lost, including rulers, the church may experience a certain amount of religious freedom. You act right, you get treated right. That is a principle. It doesn't always last because there could be evil that is bent on persecuting us. But he says persecution should only be the result of righteous living, not civil disobedience. And then he says, in godliness, in all godliness, and dignity. And that word godliness, we want to say it means to act like God, which I don't have a problem with, but what it really means is it's, it's having a life of worship. Everything I do is God word toward God. <clears throat> That's what godliness is. I do this towards God and do it with dignity, some Christian decorum. And then look at verse 3. Just in case we're wondering, he says, this is the will of God. This is what pleases God. Look at it. Verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. 
Good would mean morally good and even socially good, but most of all, good in God's estimation. This is good that you're doing this. You don't have to feel guilty or like you're doing something wrong. And it's acceptable, which means it's pleasing. This pleases God, that you would live in such a way and look for every opportunity to share the gospel because that's how lives get changed. And you know what? We know that. If, you, if you've been in Christ for a long time, you know you can't beat it out of them. But you can lead them to Christ and then watch them change. Even though we know what happens when someone comes to Christ, it's still a wonderful thing. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And then he says, in the sight of God, our Savior. Now, God in the Old Testament is called Savior. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is also called Savior in the New Testament. Could be a reference to him and his deity there. Now, as we're talking about the purposes of prayer, so we've looked at the one about the tranquil life. Let's look about the one in verse 4, salvation. In the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's it. Why should we be praying for those who are in authority? Well, it's admonished in the scripture. We're subject to their authority. We want to pray for Christian peace so that we could share the gospel. And it specifically revolves around salvation. And the salvation of all men. Now, you and I both know that not all men come to Christ. And so that is not what it means. But, as far as the church's priority goes, our priority is to pray for the salvation of all men because God desires all men to be saved. Now here is a little tension because if you're thinking along the lines of election, you may be wondering why does this verse sound like it sounds? Well, it is explainable. This does not interfere with the other parts of scripture that said that God chose us. In fact, let me read some things here. In 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. So, and are you thinking that the chosen are only those who come in? No, because he chose us before the foundation of the world. Those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. So the coming of the elect. And so we do see this idea of election in the scriptures. And again, this is where it comes down to you just have to trust the Bible. You have to trust the Bible that it's true. And there does seem to be other verses that almost seem like it contradict, but they don't contradict. Now, one of the reasons we could say that is because of the word that he uses here. It says, who desires all men to be saved. And the word for desire is the Greek word fellow. And fellow has the connotation of wishes. And we don't think God is wishful. We think God has desires, but that's the idea. of it. But it also can mean will. But the other word for will is bulamai. 
And bulimai doesn't look so much as emotions as it does, this is God's will, and it will be done, and it will be decreed. He doesn't use that, verb, that, that word. He uses the word that you could, at least to understand, to put in there the word wish. God wishes. I, I, you know, as, to show that God doesn't take pleasure in the wicked, would be God's desire for all to come to Christ, but not all will. We already know that. Everyone agrees to that. We see the word used when it says, indeed, all who desire, who wish to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But the other word, this will, like a decree, he doesn't use that. But he says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. There, I think it's in reference to election, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. One writes this, God wishes all men to be saved. The verb fellow is employed, which denotes a desire springing out of the emotions or inclinations rather than out of deliberation, which is bulamai. And, and even though I've opened up Pandora's box already by using that, the E word, election, Again, I go back to go back to the simple to understand the complex. This is what it says. God desires all men to be saved. That's why we should pray. And in all of these things that we're praying for all men and we're praying for the kings and we're praying for the president and the vice president and his cabinet, we want to pray that they make the right decisions, but we first and foremost want to pray for their salvation. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Well, we have seen a few presidents who have professed to know Christ seemed to work out for the most part pretty good. So let me just read two quotes on this. First of all, by Chuck Swindoll. Now, we all like Chuck Swindoll. <clears throat> he writes, Paul did not write God who desires to save all men, but God who desires all men to be saved. You see the difference? It does not invalidate the scriptural doctrine of election to say that God desires all people to embrace the truth of the gospel and receive eternal life. It doesn't. It doesn't invalidate that. You know, just as much as it doesn't invalidate you wanting to witness to everybody at your job so that some of them could come to Christ. Maybe all of them would come. That would be great. I have heard... Those who are overboard, I have heard a professor one say, a very famous professor, say that I don't share the gospel with my neighbor because I don't think he's the elect and I don't want to put more punishment upon him in hell. Well, that's wrong because you don't know who is the elect. You don't know who's going to come to Christ. You don't know if you share the gospel and they're going to spurn you, or even though they look like they're going to spurn you, you share the gospel and they thank you. You know, I remember a man telling us that before he came to Christ, he was wanting, wishing, desiring, fellow, wishing that someone would come and share Christ, and no one did. Wow. And so when I heard that, I thought, don't, don't, don't judge an unsaved book by its cover. That, you, you might 
think you know how they're going to respond, but you don't know. John MacArthur writes this. God genuinely desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Yet, in the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, he chose only the elect out of the world and passed over the rest, leaving them to the damning consequences of their sin. The culpability for their damnation rests entirely on them because of their sin and rejection of God. God is not to blame for their unbelief. The idea is, if God just waited for any of us to come, none of us would have come. You say, but I came. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, because he was working in your life and heart, because obviously you were one of the elect. And I know it's not always a popular doctrine, but it is a doctrine. It's a biblical doctrine. Unless the Father draws them, no man can come. Well, he doesn't draw all men or else all men would come, right? That sounds logical. But here's another point I want to make, and I've already said it. Even though we say this, don't ever view God as if, well, God, you just, you're a vengeful God. You're just looking to punish people. God takes no pleasure in the, the death of the wicked. He hates sin, and he also takes no pleasure in sin's eternal consequences, but he does carry those out. In Jeremiah 31, it says, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a delightful child? Indeed, as often as I have spoken against him, I certainly still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Talking about his people who rebelled against him. His desire is that all would repent, not only his people, but also sinners. He says it right out, Ezekiel 18, 23. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord? Rather than that he should turn from his ways and live, I want him to come. But so that we know that man in and of himself doesn't come, he lets some not come. And then what about those who do come? Wow. Talk about thanksgiving, thanking God that he drew me and saved me. We also find in 2 Peter, which also gives us sometimes, some people, a, a hard problem, where he says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Will all come to repentance? No, but God is still waiting. God is still waiting. The idea out of this, even though I may have muddied it, biblically, with election, is this. God wants us to pray for all men. God does desires that men would come to Christ. And so should we, even if they are in politics. We should be praying for those. I might even say, even for those who are terrorists, that they would come. And we do know that some have. And, and, over time, some terrorists have come to Christ and come out of that. 
You know what? The Bible says, whoever says, you fool to a brother is guilty of murder, of the heart, doesn't matter. And then finally, he says, <clears throat> verse 4, and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is interesting. Literally, it would be to come to the full knowledge of the truth. So there seems to be a difference between coming to the knowledge of the truth and the full knowledge of the truth. It, it, it's what separates a person from heart knowledge and head knowledge. You've heard the expression, someone missed heaven by 18 inches because they had the facts right in their head, but they didn't have it in their heart. Meaning that I knew about Jesus, but I never took Jesus as my Savior. I never embraced Jesus as my Savior. I never received Jesus as my Savior. And he wants us to pray for all men and for all authorities that they would come to the full knowledge of the truth. Well, let me conclude. So as we put this all together, we've seen the church's ministry of prayer. This is a primacy here. We saw that it was a priority in all the different categories. We saw of the persons of prayer, and that's not hard. It's all men. That's who we pray for. And we've seen the purposes of prayer, that we as Christians can have unhindered sharing of the gospel and that we indeed would pray for the salvation of all men. So in fighting the good fight in the church, we must be committed, committed, like that word, continually devoted to the primacy of prayer. We must obey God's instructions to change lives and culture through prayer and the preaching of the gospel. That's his instructions. Did I, did I misinterpret it this morning? Did I not cover it what it said? Let me know if you think I did. We must pray for all men, even those with differing viewpoints. Now, we do not excuse their sin, but we attempt to deliver them from the eternal consequences that we deserve as well. To deliver them from the eternal consequences through prayer and the preaching of the gospel. And we also pray that as Christians, we are submissive to God's authorities to be godly and dignified in our Christian walk and to pray for their salvation while praying for the freedom to preach the gospel. That is the church's ministry of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that I did not say anything in error. Erase that if I did. But if I did not, Lord, if it was biblical, then I pray that you use that biblical word of God through the Holy Spirit, to just show this, Lord. Father, we, we, it's simple enough to know what we ought to do. Maybe, maybe we're not sure about all of that other uh, detailed doctrine of election and all of that. Fine, fine. We know in simplicity what we are to do. As we sang this morning, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. To seek to share the gospel with others and be praying to you before we talk to them about you. And Father, we'll thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.